0: In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. As Christians, we live and breathe and have our being in a state of a state of war, not in a war with the state necessarily I should add, though well, that does come onto our horizon from time to time. But in everything we do or say or even think, We are up against something that is bigger and badder and more resourceful and resourced than we, an enemy. And that enemy is not always something or someone even contained in flesh and blood. That enemy is something or someone that transcends and overcomes the limitations of this physical world, becoming spiritual. And sometimes, just sometimes, That enemy is ourself. Well, we've heard a bit of Ephesians 6, and we've locked on to that text, as you may suspect, Paul's great treatise on the whole armour of God. And we recall the contents of that armoury. Truth, a belt, righteousness, a breastplate, the gospel of peace or the peace of the gospel, peace, let us say, a pair of shoes, faith, a shield, salvation, a helmet, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we recall that, with the exception of this last item, which seems to pack some heat, all the other weapons are defensive. Indeed, they are not weapons at all, but are items designed to protect you against weapons. The weapons of others, even if you or I, are unarmed. Articles of personal apparel... With the possible exception of the shield, everyday articles of clothing which have been reinforced and fortified to ward off attack. What are these things again? Truth, righteousness, readiness for peace, faith, salvation. All the things we expect those who are expecting to be engaged in combat to be in possession and putting to use. We look at the world in which we live those who are engaged in any kind of war of words and ideas this is spiritual combat after all not what we expect to get into the streets of Syria Baghdad or even on the south side and we look for manifestations of just these things truth righteousness readiness for peace faith salvation well don't look too long The battle for which these are the requisite items of defense, of self-preservation, presumes some very noble rules of engagement. If this is a battle for the mind, or minds and hearts and souls, and not just the physical stuff, including our own bodies, then this conflict presumes a very lofty and a very high-minded field of battle up there in the clouds. We are not just talking today's world and today's rules of combat. Truth, righteousness, readiness for peace, faith, salvation. These are very high ideals, that's all. Let's just look at the first item, truth. Pilate's question, what is truth? Followed any legal proceedings lately. The media are full of them. The rules of evidence seem so complex and convoluted and constraining, so removed from any sense of fairness or of common sense, that you wonder why so many claims do not seem to get a fair hearing, and why so few claimants seem to get a fair verdict. Not just the courts, but our streets, our schools, our workplaces, and even our homes are so constrained. What is truth? You look at me like that. Do any of you have four-year-olds in your own household? Case closed. Do any of you have 14-year-olds? Case closed. 40-year-olds, enough said. We're close enough to home. And while we may strive to make the family room and even the classroom a forum in which fairness and high-mindedness are so abundant that any conflict indeed can be resolved by simply applying the laws of reason to the data, when we step out into the real world, so-called, the workplace or the marketplace, to say nothing of those places where the structure of this world is really discovered and defined, our universities and colleges, our legislatures, local, regional, and federal, and yes, our courts of justice. I am abiding by the Constitution and keeping church and state properly separated. When our world begins to expand and when the media have had their say, and believe me, they do have a say, Then we wonder if high-mindedness alone, if simple faith in truth and righteousness, let alone a predisposition to peace for heaven's sake, and we'll say nothing of salvation in the saculum. thank you very much, we wonder if equipped with all these things the contestant going to adjudicate the claims of truth in today's world has even a fighting chance. Paul's list seems very well designed to lead one to take the high road, occupy the high ground in any engagement. But in today's world, where so many conflicts, so many wars, even of words, are fought by rolling in the muck down in the valley bottoms, where so much of the strategy is to cast doubt, to entrap with equivocation, to entangle with the 13-second soundbite, then what good does any of Paul's inventory of defensive apparel do the Christian, who is increasingly likely to get pulled into just such a war of words and ideas just because he or she is a Christian, and not just in the courtroom or in the hearing room, but in the boardroom and the classroom and, yes, especially in the schoolroom. And we have not yet gotten to the one actual weapon with which Paul has equipped us, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we all know how far that will get us when the sword of the state which the framers and the founders supposedly wielded has so effectively sheared the sanctuary from the other spaces of public discourse in which these cases might be tried and these truth claims adjudicated fairly. So Christians do not seem to be set up for the quick and decisive victory which these words of St. Paul's might lead us to expect. But it depends. It depends on who are our adversaries. And Paul makes this quite clear. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We aren't fighting one another. In other words, we aren't even fighting those who are fighting us. That doesn't mean, by the way, that we really are fighting flesh and blood. But the war is a war of words. Anything's fair in this loveless war, as long as you say it. Just don't do it. No, not that war either, in which ideas seem to be on the table, but the battleground is littered with battered and broken human beings, with lives ruined by the power of suggestion, characters assassinated by innuendo. No, the days when we were truly able to discuss ideas and keep a clear head and a civil tongue are dead and gone, better admit it. And the media's hyperactivity and our pathological indifference are to blame for that. So what is the good of this full set of body armor and this truly trusty light sword, the spirit of God, which is the word of God if we can't use it, or if it is used when it is used, it's useless? Hold on. We were determining our adversary, and it is the devil, and yet not the devil, but the schemes of the devil. We presume in all this that Paul is concerned with the devil's schemes used against us, the church. Schemes put into the hands and hearts and minds of others, the world, and used against us. So our battle is with others, with our enemies, with those who are out to get us and to do their worst against us. What if, what if, the devil had no need of others to do us harm, real harm? What if the devil, no, the schemes of the devil are just as susceptible of falling into hands our own and heads and minds and hearts our own that are exquisitely capable of doing us more harm than anyone else can do? What if we were our own enemies? Indeed, what if we were our own worst enemies? What if all this sartorial Kevlar and carbon fiber and ceramic, or rather it's spiritual equivalent, is really designed to protect us against ourselves. Just a thought, ourselves and our world against ourselves, just a thought. If the spirit of God, which is the word of God, is our one weapon, our one hope against all the schemes of the adversary, and we better settle on that one here and now, then what in the world is getting in the way of you or I getting up an hour earlier every day, any day, and getting down on our knees and asking the Spirit of God to open for us, our hearts and minds, the Word of God? Just a question. I know that the church in today's world has some tough times ahead. Of that, I am absolutely sure. Why? because it was ever thus. But I know that I don't need to know, to see, to be pointed to the adversary that faces us out there when I know, I do know that the adversary has already done his work in here by robbing me of another hour with my Lord in his word. Perhaps spending that time with Fox or CNN, well, we won't go any further. Let's not get dispirited. Let's go back again and again to our source of power, of strength, and, yes, of victory. Of celebrating a victory that has already at Golgotha been won. At Golgotha on a cross stuck into the stone, scraping the the sky with that cry of dereliction. At Golgotha in an empty tomb, filling the sky with a cry of victory and putting to flight the powers and principalities, and putting to nothing the devil and all his schemes. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Bishop Leslie Newbinger was asked. I am neither, he replied. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Risen. The Lord is risen indeed, and he rules even now. But let us let him rule in here. Let us get up, go down on our knees, take out our daily offices, take out his word, meet him there, and go and be ready to face this world and to meet him there, wherever we will go, and be ready for we and he to work wonders in this, his world, ready or not. Amen.